0: This is A Diet of Brussels. What's been happening over the summer? Um, This has become a regular episode in this podcast. Uh, Each summer there's a bit of a wind down and then come uh, September things pick up once more and we try and work out where we are. So for me and for you, uh, it's useful I think just to kind of go round the houses a bit and just think uh, a bit about where we are and perhaps more pertinently this year where we aren't. I think for me one of the the real surprises and uh, indeed concerns is that there was a summer. Um, we've known for some time now, and I've talked about this repeatedly uh, in previous episodes and uh, had guests talk about it too, time has always been very limited within Article 50 for what needs to happen by the 29th of March 2019. And in that context, even if things had gone smoothly, one would have expected that in this period of the negotiations, with the need to have uh, a text uh, drafted and signed by the end of the calendar year, that people would have uh, foregone a... Uh, the usual break and try to push on through the summer. Now uh, what's happened is is that we got uh, the uh, draft agreement in uh, March. We then had some other discussions and the British spent uh, some months trying to work out their position on uh, parts of the future relationship was, which was embodied in the checkers uh, text and then straight after that the white paper now that was June but since then we've really not had anything very substantial no we haven't had anything very substantial come through at all so even though we've now uh, here in the end of the sort of first week of September already had a couple of weeks of negotiations which is uh, a change from last summer we don't have big movement So whilst both sides keep talking to each other, whilst there is still clearly a lot of debate, uh, and you'll have seen that in the news, we don't have substantive new propositions. Now, why does that uh, matter? It matters because uh, we still have a number of big uh, issues on the table, Uh, in the Article 50 process. Uh, We still have uh, big issues for the future relationship which are also important to bear in mind. I think that's uh, maybe a useful uh, point to draw out. One of the things that's been very striking about the debate over the summer and indeed over pretty much all of the time that we've had so far is that when we talk about Brexit, imagine I'm doing air quotes, we're lumping together an awfully large number of things. It's really important here to stress that there are two distinct projects that are going on. Not quite in parallel, but they are, they're different. The first one is about ending the UK's membership of the EU. So, wrapping up that old relationship. So, that means sorting out liabilities, whether they are legal or financial or procedural. So, that's about bringing something to an end. At the same time, there is another project which is about creating a new relationship for the UK. So, that is about what we want relationships to look like, what they would involve, how... Uh we build new structures to manage uh, and uh, uh, develop those over time. Now, clearly those two things have a connection with each other. And there's a, sort of a semi-project in between, which is how do you get from one to the other. And that's transition. And I'll, I'll be talking about that uh, at another point uh, rather soon. But they are actually still very different kinds of object. To put it in purely legal terms, the one about wrapping up the relationship is an Article 50 process. Uh, The one about starting a new relationship will be, uh, if you like, uh, a version, a variant of the third country agreements that the EU has many uh, dozens of. So that will be under Articles uh, 218 uh, and uh, related provisions, which are about creating close relationships. Now, uh, that matters because those two things then are distinct in legal terms. And in procedural terms, the EU has tried to keep those two things separately. It wants to do the wrap-up now in Article 50, and only once the UK leaves uh, will it start negotiations on the future relationship. that sounds like a semantic point but it's actually really important because what it means is that the issues that need to be addressed now are not necessarily the ones that have been the focus of debate. And here I, I come back to checkers, which uh, at the moment is undergoing a continued bombardment uh, very explicitly from within the Conservative Party and less explicitly uh, from uh, the European Commission and member states. So nobody really likes checkers, which uh, you can either take as a sign that it's not going to happen or as a sign that nobody's happy, therefore, we must be doing something right. However, what checkers is about is about that future relationship. It's about what we want things to look like, how we want them to work. But that's not what the current negotiations in Article 50 are about. They are about issues of the Irish border, of the Irish dimension more generally, things like finances, governance uh, structures uh, and arrangements for the transition, for that period between leaving and uh, finally bringing it to effect that new uh, agreement that would be started uh, negotiating next March. So, whilst understandably, and this has always been the British argument, you need to have a sense of where you're heading to before you can work out how you get there, and that wrapping up the old relationship is part of getting there, the unwillingness or the inability to uh, talk explicitly about those kinds of issues really raises concerns. So, whether or not transi- uh, checkers is the uh, issue in hand, what we find is that if we can't reach an agreement about the uh, Article 50 uh, elements, then we're not going to be having a discussion about checkers or anything else for a long time because we'll be back to, well, there are all these liabilities that weren't resolved and now we need to find another way of trying to address them. So this raises an obvious question. for the simple reason that I never believe people are stupid uh, despite what uh, it might look like. I think the British government and the British political system is more than aware of what is involved uh, and what is required at this stage. Now really there are only a limited number of uh, explanations that seem uh, viable. The more positive one is that the British government sees the Checkers model as a way of addressing the backstop issue, of creating a credible path so that it doesn't need to accept the implementation of the backstop. And again, here we're in a slightly semantic distinction. The British government says repeatedly that it accepts the principle of the backstop there is a, a fairly basic disagreement about whether the backstop uh, as written in the draft text applies only to Northern Ireland or to the whole of the UK. But in either case the UK says the backstop, yes, we recognise the the need for that, but we never want to be in a position where we have to use it. So. Uh, In the language of the the joint report, which came out uh, at the uh, back end of last calendar year, 2017, there were three options, of which C was the backstop option. And A and B were basically different ways that you could uh, avoid the need for a backstop. So that's either because you had an agreement that uh, obviated the need for uh, any uh, controls, or alternatively, you'd find uh, other kinds of technical solutions that removed the need uh, for for them as well. Now, that language was there to give a bit of space. And really what we, we, we might be uh, doing here is having uh, the same kind of uh, argument that uh, in terms of what is going to be worked towards, by the end of this year you have a legal document which is the withdrawal agreement uh, which is that draft that i've already mentioned and then alongside that you'll have a, a political declaration which will be non-binding but which will talk aspirationally about what the future relationship might look like and how the two sides are going to go about trying to achieve that so from the british side if they can provide uh, a pathway to Uh, a mutually acceptable uh, relationship that involves enough that you don't have to operationalize uh, or put into effect the backstop arrangement, then that is a way of addressing the Irish problem. So uh, if you like, it's coming at uh, the Irish dimension from uh, the back end and saying here's a way of of, uh, making uh, a solution that we can all live with. The more cynical approach to this is to say that this discussion about checkers, about customs facilitation, uh, all the rest, is in essence more akin to uh, a diversionary tactic. That um, there is a hard deadline for negotiations, for reaching an agreement the British government hasn't got uh, a credible plan but if it can run down the clock to uh, in the time that's left then it might be possible to in effect make a last minute concession on the backstop uh, but leave mm, opponents, internal opponents no real time in which to organise uh, a counter response. They say basically We don't like it, but this is what we have to do at this stage, and you have to leave it. Now, still here, I think the political declaration remains important uh, because it allows for some form of words, but that's a more kind of uh, Machiavellian uh, approach. Now, uh, I genuinely don't know whether either of those is a, a, a real uh, representation of attitudes uh, because the relevant people obviously aren't going to be talking about it. But there is still very clearly a confusion in the British uh, efforts that there is not a lot of direct addressing of issues that will allow uh, this to move forward. And that really for me is the main story of the summit That. There is a clear awareness of the problems, uh, a clear awareness of what uh, l- remains on the table uh, in regard to the withdrawal agreement, uh, a recognition that extra time is possibly needed but also very unlikely to be uh, forthcoming, it would be that extensions to Article 50 or uh, extensions to transition or anything else. That so The timetable is the timetable and there still remains no good reason, really, for either side to change that. I, when I say no good reason, I mean there's no good political reason to, at this point, be pushing for uh, extra time. Uh, both sides want this to be... Uh, moved on. There is a concern that more time will simply mean more prevarication so uh, the pressure of the deadline uh, still is yet to be fully felt uh, and uh, maybe only once that happens will you get a change in that rhetoric. So in terms of substance what we have then is the same substance that we essentially had back in March We have negotiations that tick over, we see marginal uh, improvements in the uh, percentage of the text that is uh, provisionally agreed. I think we're now up to 85% and and of course that sounds very good until you remember that the 15% happens to be the stuff that's the really difficult stuff. And you know, even if we aren't discussing uh, the Irish dimension, we know that that's very important. It doesn't mean there aren't other issues as well. We still haven't really resolved the role of the Court of Justice. And it's perhaps striking that actually that has fallen out of the discussion uh, here in the UK. It's become less of a hot-button topic than it was maybe a, a year ago. And that kind of uh, de- uh, de-escalation of rhetoric uh, looks like a prelude to uh, a more flexible British position on that particular point. So really it is the Irish dimension that is crucial now in the withdrawal agreement process. It is uh, going to be accompanied with movements on the other issues, those governance issues and the court uh, issue and the issues of citizens' rights but they also will matter. So that's really the the state of the negotiations. We should also then think here about the state of the UK's evolving political and public debate. In terms of the political parties, we again remain in this highly conflictual uh, situation where both Conservatives and Labour really haven't resolved what it is that they are going to do and how they are going to do it. Uh, Both parties have real internal differences uh, of different kinds, but uh, there's not been any crystallisation around a consensus. And clearly, Chequers was intended to be that crystallisation for the Conservatives to say, here is what we're going to do, we've got the buying of the Cabinet, off we go. Now, partly that was undermined by uh, the resignation of Davis and Johnson, uh, but also by the weak response from the EU. So uh, there was no real reason uh, to get the big buy-in that had been uh, hoped for. And still, clearly, Theresa May remains in a uh, weak position uh, that she doesn't seem to command the confidence of... Uh, anyone particularly very actively, and it's really again that because nobody can be sure who would replace her if she were challenged for the leadership, uh, that really keeps her in post. So that British debate really has got itself stuck into a loop around checkers, uh, around customs arrangements, which is at the heart of the checkers model. And what we're seeing now are Tory backbenchers are manoeuvring in the run-up to the party conference uh, in a few weeks' time to try and move uh, Theresa May on this position. Now, at this point, we don't know what that will look like. Uh, There's talk of an alternative plan that would uh, be a credible rallying point. Um, That plan remains vague at this stage, and uh, as and when it emerges, I'll be happy to talk about that for you. But problematically, the harder wing of the party lack a uh, clear leader. Um, Boris Johnson's position remains, uh, I think, uncertain at this stage, and whilst he clearly is... Uh, coming uh, back into the public eye there has to be a question about whether he can be the the standard bearer for an alternative model so we have a conservative party that has difficulties and divisions much as it has had through the entire process we also have a labor party that uh, i think instructively spent most of the summer Uh, consumed with a very different debate about anti-Semitism, and by extension the position of Jeremy Corbyn, rather than one that focused on the question of Brexit or the EU. And that, I think, profound ambivalence of Jeremy Corbyn towards the issue, uh, the centrality of his position within the party as, you know, what his... uh, Priorities are about. I think really comes through. And whilst there are clearly uh, efforts within uh, the parliamentary party to uh, uh, do different things, there really isn't the the buy-in from the senior leadership, which makes life a lot more complicated. So you would have thought that by this point we might have more clarity about what the UK wants, uh, about what the government wants, about whether there is a majority in parliament one way or the other and honestly we we don't have that at all we still aren't clear really what uh, parliament would accept when it comes to any vote uh, on a deal that really has to be an issue that is a concern for uh, the eu that that uh, political uncertainty within the uk clearly at some point knocks on to negotiations and uh, leaves them in a much more uncertain kind of position and already if we think about the path of the negotiations since uh, March uh, 2017 we can see how it's been mainly UK uh, developments, let's use that word, uh, that have delayed the process And when I said at the top of the episodes, you know, even with the the best uh, will, you would have struggled with time. Uh, We haven't seen that happen uh, in practice, that we've had the delay around the general election, then delays around the UK trying to agree what its uh, position might be, uh, for example, on uh, customs, which is not even the whole of the future relationship, let alone uh, the entirety of it. So what matters I think at this stage is what comes in the coming weeks and months. So as a reminder, for a deal to be in place by the end of March there has to be a text that is agreed by the uh, principles that has to then be ratified by a majority in the uh, of the Member States, uh, which can be done through uh, a Council or a European Council meeting, but that requires consultation with national uh, bodies first. You need to have the approval of a majority of MEPs in the European Parliament, uh, which again will take uh, some time, and you need the approval now. of parliaments through this meaningful vote so there has to be a bill that goes through that embodies the withdrawal agreement there will be discussion in both chambers of so lords uh, and the commons and the government's promised a, a certain amount of time uh, for that uh, discussion to take place all of that suggests that you need at least two months and uh, quite probably a bit more once you've uh, taking account of the uh, various institutional requirements for that ratification to take place. So it's not enough that you sign the deal, you also have to have it ratified by all three parties. So UK, member states and the European Parliament. So that really means that the end of 2018 is the point at which you have to have a deal together, written, signed, Know the kind of thing that you remember when people sign treaties and, and deals. That doesn't leave very much time because you, to get to a point where you have something that can be signed, you need to have some time in which you can have uh, uh, lawyers run over political agreements and turn them into legally binding, you uh, know, rigorous text. So you need uh, some uh, weeks to do that. So, really, we're looking at uh, early December is a point at which you need to be getting the political agreement coming through. Now, the way Article 50 works, that means that people are going to need to be tabling proposals really very soon, so in the next few weeks, to be able to get those then considered by the other side, to come together and uh, have negotiations then to take that back home then to come back and say yes we can do that. So already we know that the original point of agreement which was intended to be the European Council in October is not going to be a point where we get an agreement. There simply is too much ground to be covered, there is not enough time in which to cover that ground. So we either have Uh, the European Council in uh, December uh, as the point that we do these things, or we have talk now of a special European Council in November uh, to do the same. But those two options of December and November really represent the last points in the calendar, unless we're trying to do something incredibly rushed, which always comes with uh, a number of Uh, risks, and given how problematic the Article 50 process has turned out to be, one would have to hesitate before going right down to the wire. Important markers to look out for, I think, are are fairly clear. There is an informal meeting of uh, heads of states and governments of the EU in Salzburg in a couple of weeks that does not have Brexit really as a major agenda point but the bringing together of the key uh, individuals uh, from both sides I think represents an opportunity where we can see uh, whether some uh, uh, movement is possible Uh, and I think also importantly whether the the EU decides to push on language that can help it to, to underline its position or demonstrate where there is flexibility. And you've seen elements of both of those things uh, in recent weeks from Michel Barnier. The other key point, I think, will be the Conservative Party conference, where Theresa May will find out quite how orchestrated a campaign against the Chequers model there is there will also be an opportunity for her to make a speech about these issues and how she will proceed so in terms of testing the water about what is going to fly domestically i think that uh, conference will be particularly important but as those two things underline a negotiation is about not just one party. The persistent failing of the debate here in the UK has been to think that if only Theresa May uh, can battle it out with her party and reach an agreement one way or another, then that somehow this is all done. That's completely to ignore that the UK might well have difficulty agreeing within itself, but it also needs to agree with... The EU. So we need to take uh, account of what the EU is talking about, what it thinks, uh, and we'll be talking about that during the autumn, I think, a lot more than we have been because it will become apparent that that really matters. So, your uh, return to school summary is we've got a long way to go, uh, and we haven't got very far, we haven't got very much time in which to go that long way. So what we're looking for in terms of getting to a deal on the withdrawal agreement uh, and that political declaration is going to be movement, substantial movement on issues in the next month or so. If you don't see that uh, in that time frame, then it's going to be that much more difficult to make the necessary adjustments uh, in position to allow an agreement that can then be taken back to be approved. So, by the time we do one of these again next September, we'll know that we'll, whether we've uh, been successful or not in that endeavour that both sides say that they really want to be successful in. But already by Christmas we should have a much clearer idea of what's going to be happening uh, in this relationship. So. An awful lot to look out for. I'm going to be trying to go out and interview more people. Uh, If you have questions, always please get in touch at our website, which is www.adietofbrussels.com. And I look forward to talking with you uh, again soon. Bye.